I think I had a book here, a book on interviewing techniques. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting. And he's a professor at the Drama Institute in Stockholm. And I quote him quite extensively. So whenever in, in your book people are talking about uh, how to try to get more out of people or to get to gain their confidence. In the quotes here, mm-hmm. you have at least the essence. And if you can, you can, of course, buy the book if you, if you think. Uh, mm-hmm. But can it can be important for your biography. If you can mention, okay, uh, uh, Ben Book from the Swedish uh, Drama Institute in his book, Encounter with the other, mm-hmm. some reflections on interviewing. Um, and I have a long mm-hmm. part also on music. These are all the the elements that are connected to to radio documentary and the importance of one ele- element on the other. So they all stick together, and you have a story. Yeah, what is at stake, what is in fact the focus of the story, the main point. You have very often a tension, an inner tension. It's like a, a well, a well in the woods who need to burst out. A story who needs to be told. Uh, of course you have the choice of your protagonist, who will be the main characters. You will have to interview them to get more about it. Since I will tell something a little bit later, uh, be there as a reporter when things are happening at the right moment. Narrator, perhaps you will need to have a narrator to explain what's happening, uh, to go from one part to the other part. Sometimes it's someone completely external to the feature, or it can be the author himself. So all these elements have to be put in a certain order. It's important what you put the third minute and the fifth minute and at the end and so on. Of course, the importance of sound, importance of music, then equipment, recording, editing. So it's a little bit about the whole process of um, feature making. So I may not forget... um, So in a documentary you have a story, a topic, and you have a main character. Now, to know more about the man or the woman, you can put him or her questions, interview her, and then you will know more about her, their ideas, their feelings, their fears, their obsessions and so on. Nothing wrong with, with that, it's perfect. But on the other hand, uh, like in a movie, it's good to be alert as a maker to things that are happening. And what someone is doing can be more relevant than what he's saying. It's easy to say, I'm a very noble man. I give money to a lot of charity and good works and my ideas are such and such and such. It's easy, it just can be blah, blah, blah. But when 
someone is doing something, taking an action, it can be much more uh, relevant for his character. I will give an example. Someone at our Rito Institute, there was a course about uh, making a portrait of someone, and she had to do an interview with a bird surgeon. It's a surgeon who tries to save birds in case of oil disasters, for example. Uh, and she, she phones him to have an appointment, and he said, no, Monday I can't, Tuesday I can't, and I have to, to do uh, operations. And she was so clever to say, to say, yes, but I would really appreciate if I could talk to you while you are operating. And then you see how, how the man changes. It's like magic, you know. Uh, he's holding a little bird in his hand, and he has uh, uh, something to, to pick. Uh, uh, and he says, look, this little bone there, it's broken, and it's already infected. If I, if I don't take it away, it will become a big infection. Now I have to be very careful because it's so close to, let's say, the eye of the bird. And then, yeah, yeah, look, I have it, and now carefully, there it is, I have it. So his whole attitude changes, his voice lowers, he speaks slower, he has much more empathy and, and passion for his job in his voice, and it's completely different if he had told out of the blue at the table how he works to, to, to operate and to save birds. I remember another scene that was about cycling competitions in little villages for what we call the, the debutants, the beginners, the beginners, now 14, 15 years old and so on. And a colleague of mine is standing along the, along the, the circuit where they have to, to run and suddenly there's a boy who, who misses the turn and he falls down and just at that place is his grandmother's uh, standing. And then she, she cries and she shouts, and how is this possible? It's now for the third time that he breaks, uh, uh, how do you call it? Um, the, the, the neck bone-like. Yeah, a yeah, bone at, at the neck. You can hear the ambulance coming uh, through the loudspeakers. The man who gives the command on the competition says, oh, uh, at point 14 of the circuit, a boy has uh, had an accident and so on and so on. So all the anger of this woman and her compassion and uh, her explanation of how, how expensive it is for, to, to buy a new bicycle if the bicycle is broken, it all bursts out. And it's because the report is there where it, where it happens. And sometimes you can even, I wouldn't say manipulate towards a scene, but you can arrange that a scene is happening. I'm trying to find an example. We made one program about old people in the home for Alzheimer patients. Of course, at the end of the day, the nurses are going to put the people to bed. 
and the reporter is following the nurse from one little room to the other little room. So this whole ritual is recorded and the reporter says to the nurses, don't make it too long, but uh, it seems to me that these old people are like becoming children again. And we want a little bit tea. So stress, stress on that and not too much explanation. So it's like a little bit organizing the scene, but it's so based upon reality and so true. So you have the right as a maker to give a form to your documentary and to choose also the most important sequences and components of it. Uh, and of course, if you have scenes, your, your uh, documentary becomes a, a little bit like a movie. And then you can compose your documentary saying, for example, I have 30 minutes, I would like to have four or five scenes. So I will be sure to keep the attention of the listener. And it's good if every three or four minutes something is happening, a new character, a new location, a new event, so that it's going on and on. Voilà. Uh, you said that you can a bit kind of manipulate the scene like to happen. Yeah. Um, what do you think about like actually manipulation in features? Because the author has the right to, you know, he can edit it in many ways. And uh, I wouldn't say this is manipulating, it's just applying or using the different techniques of storytelling. Storytelling, it can be techniques of repetition, climax and anticlimax, putting the elements in a way that suddenly you leave a track and you go back to this same track 10 minutes later, like a flashback or a flash forward. So these are just techniques to make sure that your story will keep the attention of the listener the whole time. I think it's, it's the same thing that happens very often in movies. Eh? You have cliffhangers. And then suddenly you leave the, you leave the audience with a question mark and you tell them, Don't, we are not in a hurry. I will explain you later. And five minutes later you come back to this same scene. Uh, so this is not manipulating, this is constructing or elaborating a structure that is clear, that is efficient, that might be seducing for the ear of the listener and avoiding a too predictable, let's say, chronological order, which is often a little bit boring. Yeah? But sometimes it's very, um, sometimes it's very difficult that author can have some material which is very good. But sometimes I don't know the uh, the person would say like, "Don't use it. I don't wish to you to use it or something." And then the author know that he has great material and he's not able to use it. But sometimes they use it anyway because they want you know the the feature to be good to be exciting. Yeah, yeah, or something. yeah. What do you think about this, or how is, is it is it difficult sometimes to you know know what to use or what to not to use? It? It, it can be difficult, 
one point, for example, uh, before everything, one point is to make clear to the person with whom you are going to talk about what you have to talk, what is the story, if there are delicate points in it, or that there might be a certain degree of shame in the person and about what, what he did in, in his life, to be clear that this is, is so essential for the story that if you skip that, uh, you are falsifying the story because you are not true, you, you are hiding away important, uh, important elements. Now, one approach could be, I will, I will give a quite clear example. Some guy is addicted to drugs. And it appears in the story, or the, the reporter knows, that in fact the real trigger for this drug addiction goes back to his youth. And it is since he has been sexually abused by someone who could be a teacher or an uncle or whatever, that at that moment uh, the guy was... Uh, lost his orientation in life, uh, couldn't make the right choices, he got bad friends and so on. So if the guy said, okay, I want to talk about my drug addiction, but nothing about that, then it's up to the reporter to say, yes, but no one will understand how come. And if I put you the question, how, how, how did you come in contact with drugs? And you just say, I had bad friends and you refuse to talk about this, this uh, sexual abuse, that's not the real story. In fact, you are, I wouldn't say you are lying, and it's your right to do so, but then I will say, no, we will not talk about this story, uh, because the story is, is, is a little bit f falsified. One thing, what you could do in delicate matters like this, it's to make a kind of deal, like uh, an agreement with the interviewee. You say, I understand fully that it's a delicate matter. I suggest that nevertheless we talk about it. And I put questions, and it's my duty as a program maker to be as correct, but also as to go as deep as I can into this story. If after 10 days of reflection, you think that it would be bad for you that this would be broadcast, it would harm you, it would harm your family, it would harm your children, then I promise I will not use it. And even I might decide just to drop the whole thing. If on the other side, after your reflection time, you say, my God, the children, they know already about it. We have talked about it in, in the family. So the closest persons, they know about it. Other persons who might not know about it, family, well, at least they will know that it, something happened to me and I'm not the one to blame. I've been a victim. Uh, not someone who, not not uh, a perpetrator, or how, how do you call it? Uh, I didn't do the crime, and perhaps it will help 
other people to understand better what happened in my life. And perhaps uh, it will free myself from a kind of burden upon my shoulders. Even the reporter could tell this man, think twice, let's, let, let's record it, I give it a time of reflection, but think twice how benefic, how positive this coming out might be for yourself and you might feel like relieved. And it happens often that people after having thought about that 10 days or whatever, say, my God, this is a story that happens to so many people. And uh, who do I harm with that? Perhaps not. And then they say, okay, those 10 days have given me the time to give this event a place in my life. And in a certain way, I, I can live with that. And I say, okay, no problem, you can broadcast it. So instead of too, uh, too quickly say, okay, I understand, of course, of course, this is so personal and so private, I, I, wouldn't, uh, ne I would never bother you with that, try to convince. But if you give a word, and the, the people said, you can't broadcast it, then you have to be correct, and then you don't do it. This being said, there are zones which are grey, not very clear. Now you are interviewing me. You are holding a microphone. I'm fully aware you are interviewing me. So the situation is very clear and the deal is clear. Uh, and it's a kind of agreement. I accept you putting me questions. I give you answers. And then tomorrow I will not change my mind. In some very delicate stories, there's something that's called like the right to change your mind. That you say, okay, in this case, uh, I accept perhaps that the interviewee too quickly said yes and didn't imagine all the consequences of it. And I can imagine that in such a case, and because of, of human concerns, okay, I understand, I will not, uh, not broadcast it. It happened to us in our station that a colleague interviewed young soldiers, Belgian soldiers. Uh, they call them paras, paras, with heavy battle dress, tough guys who were on mission in Somalia. And they miss... Uh, how do you say this in English? They misbehaved in the sense that they tortured people. They uh, buried young people. They urinated on soldiers of the, op of the, the opposite party. And this came... Uh, to the ears of our reporter. And he knew where those guys were going to which bar in the evening. And one evening they started to talk. It's okay, this is very interesting stuff. You are okay that I record it? Perhaps they were a little bit drunk, I don't know. Or perhaps uh, the, the attitude of machos together. And I did that and I have done that. 
uh, and then uh, I think a small part of it was broadcasted and the whole program would be broadcasted at our channel Radio One as a full documentary. Then the mili military court knew about that and wanted the soldiers to become come before the judge. And one or two soldiers asked us not to broadcast it. And then we discussed with the general board of the Belgian radio and television. And we were asked to the big meeting room and with the director general what to do. And then the opinion or the position of the broadcaster was this story, these events are so rude, are so against every humanity that this is much more important than the personal feeling of a soldier who is afraid that, he, that his family will know about it. So it had been broadcasted for reasons of uh, social, political relevance and not just shut down and bury the story because it was very important that justice could do its work and that things like that wouldn't happen again. So sometimes there's this bigger... bigger yes, 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 yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, th these were, were heavy times for us because even the advocates or the lawyers of the opposite party, of the soldiers of the Ar Belgian army, uh, wanted us to give all our material, our original material. And, of course, as a journalist, you never do that. It's what we call the respect for the sources of the journalist. And I personally has hidden all those tapes in some dark corner of the archives where it was, it was like a labyrinth, very hard to know this, this little room. So, because they came to the station and, and to ask, said, no, we don't give it. Bye-bye. By the way, if you hear some strange noises, it's Mimi. Mimi, it's our cat, and now she's playing with a kind of, of toy. Uh, this, this is the, the source of the noises. Mimi. We are in the south of Brussels. It's a big avenue, who is pretty close like Paris. In, in Paris you have those big, big, large avenues. There are trees, but of course, from time to time, there are cars. There's the one I ordered now. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> there, there it is. Uh, one funny thing about this place, in front of the room in which we are sitting, there is a hospital. Uh, there is a pharmacy, apotheque. There are flowers there, and there's, how do you call it, a, a caretaker, if you die. So if I have problems, I can walk, or try to walk, to the hospital. If it is very, uh, very strong, I can go to the pharmacy. I can even choose uh, my coffin and order the flowers. 
But you have still plenty of time for that. Well, yeah, hope. Let's hope. <laughs> is it different how our future is done in every country? Because, I mean... There are some, and it's hard to say why uh, one tradition might be different than the other ones. For example, in Germany, a lot, a lot of the features are first written out on paper with a whole text, and there's a narrator. We often joke with the German fish uh, uh, because they, are, they have such a long parts of narration, and of course it can become a little bit boring. And then, very often, the editing is not made by the author. The author has written down the parts that should be in, and there's an editor who will fix it all together. So an other person than the author, which also might take away a little bit of the originality and the vivacity of the program, because you, you, you lose the hand uh, of the author. Other ones, like the Norwegians, are very strong in using scenes, and that makes their documentaries very cinematographic. Uh, you have really scenes that are are going on. Then there are differences in terms of stories and topics. For example, Poland, I don't think, Jack, but uh, Poland, Baltic states and so on, they often make programs about historical traumas, war, victims of war, recently discovered symmetries with a lot of dead corpses. So, like, they have to get rid about historical traumas that are a burden for, for, for their society. And then there are countries where there are very few documentaries. It's very strange in the southern part of Europe, in Italy, in Spain, in Greece, there are, there are documentaries. One reason could be that in those countries, in the evening, people are sitting out. It's such a nice weather. At nine o'clock, they start to have their dinner. While in Norway, it's freezing and it's dark from six o'clock or five o'clock in the evening. And then people, of course, are going to the... Uh, listening to Hörspiel and, and so on. Of course, I should have thought about it. The window is open. That's why we hear the cars so much. It's better. <laughs> now it's absolutely quiet. I think that nor northern countries are perhaps more introvert. People of the southern part more frivolous, enjoying life. I, I don't know, perhaps it has something to do with, with that. Uh, uh. Mm -hmm. So who would you say, which country is like the best or one of the you know, best in doing features? Well, it, it's very hard to, see, uh, to say, but anyhow, uh, now, nowadays, I would say Sweden is very strong. And so, till some years ago, uh, Norway was really the top. And, but this can change, and often it has to do with just 
one woman or one man who is in charge of the department and who who displays a lot of energy, who gives chances to people, who gives uh, good feedback to program makers uh, with a great quality of brainstorming and with a clear uh, will to make features uh, which reflect what's boiling in society, what's going on, the tensions in society. So features are as a, a way to reflect on what's going on and all the the, the the forces that forge that are forging the future of a, of a society. Uh, and um, how are features, for example, in Australia or China or these countries like? Because we speak mostly about European features, is there any big difference between? No. There's a, there's a, a huge. A tradition of features in Australia. Uh, they speak English. There's the Commonwealth. There are features of the BBC and of Canada who are broadcast in Australia. Uh, they they need to we call it feed the monster, uh, feed the, feed the 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 radio, and uh, it, it's so easy to 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 buy a program from uh, abroad. Uh, now there's a, a certain tendency also in China to make features. And it's it's quite strange, but this has a lot to do with, for example, the role of Peter Leonard Brown, the founder of the International Feature Conference and of the Pre-Europa. Uh, he, he liked to cross oceans and talk to people and invite invite Chinese people to a conference and, and to insist on the importance of uh, developing uh, radio into a much more uh, aesthetic medium using the best technologies, the best microphones. So you have a certain limited production also in in uh, in China. Mm -hmm. So, uh, but is the feature world connected on all over the world? That, like, you know, sometimes the, the feature makers, they know about each other. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's quite exceptional. I don't know any annual conference or seminar for, let's say, sports reporter. There might be kind of competition somewhere, but something like the International Feature Conference, when during five days you listen to each other programs, it's not a competition. You discuss it, you put questions to the maker, you are very straight in your opinion, gentle but straight. Uh, this is really exceptional and this exists now, I think, for... 44 years, 44 years, it, it, it's, uh, yes, they they know each other because they, they meet also at the Pre-Europa, which is competition for radio and television and documentary for radio and for television. 
So there are each year at least 100 radio documentary makers. Sometimes we say it's like a big family. And it's, it's true because uh, the situation is never easy for a feature maker. It's very hard to make a living of it. And some broadcasting companies, like in Scandinavia, uh, have a little staff of five or six or seven feature makers who are paid each month who has a, a salary. In many other cases, uh, feature makers are at the same time they make reportage or they are working at the news department as a journalist or they are freelance and they write for newspapers and from time to time they make a feature because they cannot sell their work enough. It's too expensive because often for your resource, your recordings, your travel, uh, it, it takes easily eight weeks, ten weeks to make a good feature and you never will get enough money uh, regarding to the time you have invested in it. Uh, is the situation the same all over the world, that there is not enough money from features? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess nearly nearly everywhere it is, it is the same. Now something changed since the venue of the podcast and the digital editing systems on computer. Since, since more than 10 years you can do it at home. That means that it's less expensive. You do it at home, it's from A to Z. You can record your own voice, whatever, at your personal PC, and then you can go to a broadcasting station and say, okay, can I buy it? Uh, can I sell it? Do, do you buy it? And then it's less expensive because the radio station doesn't have to invest in 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 uh, in expensive studio time, in expensive man hours or woman hours for the technicians, and so on. So it's it's becoming more easy to let's say to to make your product circulate in the world. Why is IFC so important and so so? so different to other competitions or conferences. What is the beauty <laughs> of the IFC? I think it's a platform where you can learn what other people, feature makers, are doing. Uh, learn about their techniques of storytelling, about the use of narration, about the use of music, about how to record scenes about their social role uh, in, in, in a society. Because very often in your own station, the bosses rarely have time to give feedback. A feature has been broadcast, okay, next day, other worries. And uh, it's very rare that they sit around the table and that they they analyze the whole feature and so on, which is the case, of course, at the International Feature Conference. And uh, it gives also a very great boost of oxygen for yourself. And when you have listened to, uh, I don't know, 
20, 30 radio documentaries, really you become anxious and impatient to start a new feature yourself and go back with it next year and, and show, show your work. What International Feature Conference means for you? Is it like a source of inspiration or is it like... It's, it's imp- uh, inspiration, it's of course seeing back friends and discuss how, how relevant a theme or topic can be, how actual deep cutting stories and events in society, like the problem of refugees, how different countries deal with that. And then you can you can compare. So it's yes, it's like a temporary oasis of five days. You just listen to radio, you do nothing else, and you can concentrate really on every little detail. And Leo Brown, who invented, who started conference, always said, this is not a competition, it is a shoemaker's conference. Like the shoemaker learn to make the most beautiful, solid, elegant, strong, robust shoe in the world. And in fact, I often compare it like, you know, in the Middle Ages, as a young boy, or perhaps also young woman, you had the chance to learn certain skills. It was the time of the builders of cathedrals. And in one cathedral, or to build one cathedral, you needed uh, people to make the, the charpente, the wooden structure. You need masons. You need people who were able to make the perfect, the forgeron, the perfect slot now, where you put the key. Uh, everything that was made in copper, or in wood, or in stone, it all had its, its specialization. And then you left your family, and it was called the compagnonage. Compagnon, gazellen. It was also based upon friendship, respect for the master. Eh? Little by little by little, uh, you became a master in your speciality. So the, this feature conference has something a little bit of this, this atmosphere. Without it being rigid or, or with, with uh, a lot of, of rules. No, not, not at all. It, it's... It's very friendly and, and open, uh, and often it, it said the rule in uh, for feature makers is that there are no rules. Or the better you master certain rules, the easier you can throw them away. Uh, uh, because you, you, you found other solutions to solve a problem. How many IFCs did you visit? Uh, I think something like 27. Uh, I think I started to visit the International Feature Conference in 1990, about. So I think 
the last one has been my 27th or 28th, uh, something like that. I think during nine years I was the yeah the president of the group who organizes the, the IFC, and then I moved to something else and, and something else. Uh, so yeah, nine years it's more than more than enough. Uh, Did you learn something during these nine years? I I hope so. I, I hope so because um, at each. In each organization, if you plan something, there always are problems. And you have to take decisions and to work uh, together with people. And to make sure that from time to time there are some new blood or there are some changes in, in the formula. And that it becomes more, 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 more smooth and more comfortable for the people who attend the the, the, the IFC, uh, yeah. Were there any problems? Was there any, uh, I don't know, the problem that the IFC wouldn't exist anymore or something? Because it's long time, 44 years. We never had problems with the existence of the IFC, but nearly on a permanent way, there were problems with will radio documentaries features will they survive the will for the IFC to survive and to come together and to find the money to go five four five days in another country this will always has been there but at a kind of red file during the discussions nearly every year there were speakers about how could we adapt features uh, to the radio structure nowadays uh, are they not too long for a changing audience? So, yes, we, we, we organized uh, some years ago in, in Berlin a full day. It was called SOS feature. And we, we listed all, all the problems. And, of course, you will not solve these problems in, in one day, but you will see that there are some countries who try to be, let's say, closer into actuality, closer to the big themes of our times. Long time ago, and I'm speaking about 20 years ago, there was a kind of, I wouldn't say a school of uh, feature makers, but they lived in a kind of uh, splendid isolation. They were the very expensive guys who could work during six months on one feature and they won imported prizes like the Prix Italia or the Prix Europa and the bosses just let them do. Ah, oh, go ahead, you are you are an artist, monsieur, madame, artist. Huh? But little by little, the management and the marketing issues of running modern broadcasting company had their influence upon re, uh, really the programming. And for the, the new managers, programming and the number of listeners you get and the ratings became, became more and more important. And not just the freedom of one person working in total isolation and luxury and having the time to refine every single 
second of his radio artwork. There's also a, a changement in mind, I think, but I'm sure not everyone will agree with me. Some radio people, radio documentary makers, consider their work as art. I'm an artist, I'm a sound artist. What I do is radio art, and I feel very proud. And you also have a term called Ars Acoustica, eh? acoustical art. And it always worried me a little bit. Like I say, let other people judge if what you are doing is art or not. It's not my, my concern. Have you ever heard or do we speak about art painting? No. About uh, artistic sculptures? About art writing? No. We are a writer, a painter, a sculptor, a photographer. You know who is calling himself or herself an art photographer? It's the amateur. The amateur who in his little town goes in the evening following courses for art photography. What are you making? Ah, I'm, I'm, I'm not just take, taking pictures. I'm an art photographer. I would say, let's leave this to others. The same for, to my eyes, uh, radio documentary makers. We are, I think, uh, in the best cases, skilled people who master the art of storytelling and so on. And from time to time we might reach this benign level that sound and music and, and silence and words come together in something which one could compare like a little acoustical poem. Yeah, it happens. But most of all we are telling and selling stories. The only thing we need to know, we have to be aware that stories only happen to those who can tell them. It, there's a way of, of telling a story, and in a pub you might tell a joke, and the whole pub is laughing. Another person will tell this joke, and no one will laugh, because the other person doesn't have the sense of climax, anticlimax, rhythm, pace, speed, and so on. So in this sense, yeah, uh, you have to master. It's a little bit a gift to be a good storyteller. So would you compare features to like storytelling? Do you think that this, this is this need of humans to hear stories and that's the reason why they listen to features? Yes, of course, we all like to hear stories from our childhood. When we were put in bed by our, our parents, we liked stories. The Bible, full of stories. The fairy tales, full of stories. Uh, Hollywood, full of stories. Yes, we need to, to see people move and struggling against or having the wind in the back or the wind again, against them, and having obstacles in life. And we like to see how they are stronger than the obstacles sometimes, and sometimes how they are losers. It's all in life.
So I think now we'll just go through some questions here. Here, or do you have something uh, you want to talk about? These scenes or signs um, or something? Scenes I have done. Mm-hmm. Uh, music. Let's speak about music. A few words about the use of music in uh, read documentary. It happens very often that you have made all your records, you carefully have put all the sequences in the right order, and then at the last moment you said, my God, I, I would need some music. But what? And then in a hurry you go to the the musical department where are all the archives and the music and so and you don't find what you need and you get nervous. The technician who is working with you gets nervous too. And the so well prepared radio feature is completely spoiled because at the last moment you just pick at random some music that doesn't fit at all. And of course, music, if you use it, is important. I remember one anecdote of uh, an author, Anthony Storr. It was a book, Music and the Mind. And he tells about a man who his whole life wanted to go and see the Grand Canyon in the United States. It was his real dream. And once he had enough money and he went to the Grand Canyon, and he was there just in front of all those magnificent mountains and so on. And he said, but it's strange. It, it doesn't have an effect on me now that I'm here. And then he realized, said, yeah, of course, they forgot to put the soundtrack. Just to say how impressive mu- music can be. Now a radio documentary as such is often like already, even without music, a piece of music. It has a composition, a rhythm, a certain pace. Uh, it has different, sometimes different languages, like like a kind of music. But nevertheless, in certain cases, you will need you will need music, and perhaps it's for reason has who has to do with narrative, storytelling. You want to go to make a transition of one sequence to another and you need like some bridge to show that there's a gap in between can be two places two moments in life so without any words sometimes the music just tells you okay now we are going to uh, to something else or like in a book at the end of a chapter you have a blank page and the next chapter starts on the right side. So it is like if music gives opportunity to absorb what just has been said and at the same time make your spirit free for what is going to come. Often also music indicates attention, something is going to happen. Sometimes it's used uh, when you have a narrator who announces the next step in the story and with a little piece of music. It attracts the attention of the listener. Now something is going to change. Or also, 
sometimes when music suddenly stops means hey something is going on here uh, it it uh, it attracts the attention so we have the in our western society we have the attendance to separate into the different items in the feature the spoken words the music the sound and the silence and in our opinion the spoken word it's the the content is the message the music can activate an uh, emotion can seduce can describe the sound is a proof of authenticity i have been there and i have the sound of the place of the language or whatever and the silence gives space for reflection to live an emotion and so on we just forget that all these elements have a semantic meaning really meaning even silence can mean something and it means that also music has a semantic meaning and we have to be aware of that sometimes we use it just like a descriptive descriptive element in my childhood in the villages you had the photographer of the city of the town and he had big rolls of paper like brown pink yellow just to create a mood and the brown paper was a little bit like the past melancholy autumn and the pink one was was uh, joy frivolous and sometimes people tend to use music in that sense just to create a, a general uh, ambience and it's often what we call library music and you can find it in specialized collections with music for the woods in autumn for volcanoes for big uh, city life and so on but it's a little bit a cheap way of using uh, using uh, music and the same is if music is used just just like you know you give a piece of bread to a kid and you put some jam on it it's sweeter it's sweeter so it, it's uh, it, it it's easier to take the pill in you because there's some some sugar on on it i would call it like music used as a lubricant and it's like you don't trust enough your material and you feel that you have to add at something sweetening there's another way of using music which is quite strange if you remember the silent movies chaplin and 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 so on very often in those films there's a scene of the policeman who is trying to capture the thief and uh, often with cars and then you had in the room in 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 the amphitheater of the cinema a pianist was playing live music and it is as if when the pianist played his gallop music as the people were running faster than normal so by kinetic element of character of music it means to accelerate an existing movement and of course we often will use music as an emotional amplifier 
fear, tenderness, whatever, you put the right music and, so to speak, you dictate to the, to the listener what he or she has to feel. Now, uh, normally, as a base to put our music, we choose the text, the meaning. Uh, the text means that and that and that, so I will add music that goes in this direction. But what, what I tried sometimes is to start with the music. The program about the old people in the Alzheimer, they are going to bed. It's that, like, like a lullaby for children, they are becoming children again. And I wanted to end with a lullaby, which is very tricky because lullabies can be extremely, can be too emotional. But we found one of Richard Straub's Wiegenlied, who is not that well known. And I chose nearly the full song of it, three minutes, three minutes and a half. And I said, this would be a nice way to end the program musically with one large movement of music instead of cutting little pieces. And then I said, this is my decision, the music is the first priority and I will put on this music little pieces of the nurses going to the old people asking if they needed uh, an extra cushion or, or a cookie or, or, or something else. So this worked very well and it's because it was the music or the breath that decided to use one long piece of music instead of adding little pieces of music. In my time, I mean 10 years, 20 years ago, we um, insisted not to use too much music. Uh, we said less is more. But nowadays I hear programs of young people and there's music from the beginning to the end, the whole time. And it doesn't disturb me. It often deals with um, urban, urban themes. And it has the swing and the pulse of a city, big city of today, and it works perfectly well. And still one point, you don't have to be a big specialist and you don't need to have a big knowledge of the musical repertoire. Very often, a feature maker, good feature maker, if someone else suggests some type of music, he will recognize, okay, that fits for me, for my feature, or it doesn't fit. But better to ask to someone with a big uh, knowledge of the repertoire, and then you will feel if it works or not. Voilà. This sounds too much like a lecture because I'm reading from this paper, and if you, you if you want to use something, you can use the papers and, and quote something like that. So uh, I shouldn't too much use the paper for this. It's like point one, point two, point two. Mm-hmm. Well, but for you, what, what does music in features means for you? Is it like, uh, you know, um, spices of the feature or is it like... Not that much spices, but it gives a kind of universal character to your story. Uh, if your story is about a boy and a girl, a love story, they fell in love and so on, If you add some music, it becomes more than the story of uh, Romeo 
and Julia, but it becomes something like a love story that could happen to many, many people. So it gives a universal character. And of course, another element, main element is it gives pulse, pulse to your program. Certain power and progression. Okay, it, it doesn't stop, it leaves you some time as a listener to, 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 to evaluate where are we, it gives some breath, and it pushes forward. Like in the music of Bach, they always talk about the, the motoric rhythm of Bach. Bach never stops. In that sense, music can give uh, the same, the same pushing forward the story. Yeah, yeah. They they are very good feature makers who who, who made perhaps uh, 20, 30 features. They are also the people who made what we call or Brown called the bread and butter feature. It's like for daily use because you have a slot in which, uh, like the BBC, there's a feature every day. So the monster has, has to be f uh, fed. So you, you need this type of very quickly done radio doc documentaries. There's nothing against that. And then you have the people who have the chance to work in much more comfortable sit uh, situations with much more time and, uh, yeah. What do you think is better for a feature? To make it uh, popular by producing some every day or to make it make the quality better by producing it just once a year or something? For the vitality of your station, you need a certain amount of productions. If you only play a feature once a month, never you will be able to create a movement and to create listeners who have their ears ready to listen to feature because they only can do it, can listen to it once a month. But of course, you need also quality. Do you think that feature should be, uh, if, I don't know, the author is, I don't know, homosexual or something, and he wants to do this coming out, and he do it with using this feature, you know, this feature about the author actually and sometimes you know should be the feature influenced by the life of the author should it be like you know personal or should it be more objective the author should realize how important is his own story and often it's not the case it happens that an author says, okay now i go to new york and my New York, the New York of Edwin Briss. But why is this interesting? Or my coming out, or what happens very often, my breast cancer. It's amazing how many programs has been made about all these this quite dramatic topics. But in fact, the stories are very similar and you know the story of an aunt and, and a neighbor, and they all had kind of, of very strong disease with all the uncomfort that... But where is the new, the new thing? I'm looking a little bit for that and not just for, uh, for a, a repeat. 
On the other hand, the ego, ego document about yourself is useful because for radio, because radio is very often about, or documentary, revealing a hidden part of someone. And in that sense, many of us have of these secret uh, stories. And radio is also about, very often, about confession. Confession. So talking about a hidden part of yourself, it's like a confession. So in that sense, it's very intimate. But as an author, you have to judge yourself if the story is, is appealing enough, can really interest other people, or if you do it just for your own glory. Well, I don't know. Uh, I still don't know with this ego documentary. Yeah, it's yeah. very hard. Like sometimes it's interesting, and sometimes I don't know why. Why like why these people do it? Like is it you know is it healing their um, you know kind of or yeah, it can be like a kind of of uh, self uh, therapy. Yeah, I have said it, so I get a little bit rid of it. But never forget that you are making a program for other people and and not for yourself. So I would take care of this kind of self-indulgency and uh, hear around yourself, talk to friends and what do you think about my story? Is it really strong enough and uh, original enough? And everyone has the right to have lived stories who are not original. Life is not a competition in originality. But sometimes there are something, my God, this is really strange. Here different elements are coming together into a very unedited story. And then, okay, I go for this. And actually you, have you ever made some kind of confession feature? No, no. No? no, and I, I don't intend to do so. Why? I'm discreet. I, I, I mean, what, what I, I haven't lived a life full of uh, memorable events to share it with other people. I better look around and, and look for the people who really have strong stories. Uh, no. Would you say that you're um, addicted? To stories of other people? Not, not addicted, because the danger in doing this job, like uh, giving courses on great documentary, being coach and so, so on, that at a certain stage you get fed up with stories. <laughs> and yeah, stories are everywhere, movie and whatever. I'm amazed each time I fell on a real great story, then I said, well, that's really marvelous. And then to be able to do it in that humble, a little bit distant way, which is radio, and without flashes and stars and stripes and colors, but with this more minimalistic approach and, and, and sober can be extremely strong. Were you in your life Were there people who who were your biggest inspiration for a feature? And not like you made the feature about them, but 
did you know they there had some influence on your choice of topics or something and uh, I wouldn't say that there are specific ones. The influence came more from video documentaries than from the maker. Because some documentaries are, are treated in a certain way. It's, here I feel the hand of, of an artist or a clever, someone who is clever to st- give a structure, special structure to the feature, than to this or this or this man. But I'm sure that, for example, Norway, no, the Norwegian style, the Danish one, Lisbeth Jessen, in Norway, Berit Hedeman, England, the BBC, Lawrence Grisel. So they all have an approach uh, which is very clear. I nearly would say transparent. I easily can follow because in a radio feature you can't go back in, in time and, and unless you listen to podcasts. I like this clear line. Easy to follow and with, if possible, a second layer, like a kind of metaphor for something bigger than the story in itself, eh? something more uh, universal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is a personal choice. I don't like features in which I get lost. After three or four minutes, I don't know who is who and what is this about. Like if the maker loses any control on his material, said, please look for some advice and, 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 uh. For me, a good feature is not only made by the heart and by the belly, but also by the head. It's an intellectual exercise also. And if this goes together with an emotional output, then it's perfect. And were there any people in your life, like in your family or your friends or someone who, you know, who had this influence on your work? Uh, again, I think in terms of people of uh, the International Feature Conference of the Pre-Europa, because at my station there was were not a lot of feature makers, very, very few. So it doesn't come from there. I think mostly in life, uh, affinity with literature or or music, it's something very personal. Unless you are raised in a family of musicians, that's very, very, very different. Your wife was her the first listener every time of your features, or uh, not? Not always, but it happened. Not only my wife, but the children. The features were on Sunday. Sunday noon, sometimes. Then we took an aperitif and we listened with the whole family. Uh, but when the children get older, they they don't care that much about uh, uh, this or this or, or this program. Mm-hmm. But of course, they, they they follow they follow it, and it, it's I think to have a father or a mother, which is a feature maker. It's it's fun for the kids, because they always have stories. You know, now my new story, uh, one of my students wondered if it is possible to disappear from the world for one week, because she hears everywhere that 
they can trace you with your mobile phone, with your banking card. I'm working on it right now. Yesterday, tomorrow, and so on. And she, uh, she hide herself in the southern part of uh, Belgium in a hotel under a false name and she asked an, a friend, please find me, find me. So it's the whole story how the guy got information from telephone companies, bank companies, she moving from one hotel to the other, uh, seeing that her her account had been hacked. So she had to, to disappear. And at the same time, it's it's very interesting because we are surrounded by, by all kinds of techniques to try to find us. So if as a father or, or, or a mother you come home, you know what? You have a whole story, you know. And they can follow it during one week for nothing. I can see that uh, you have piano here and you have headphones there. What does it mean? You you practice or you play with headphones? I played, uh, I started to play the violin when I was 12 or, or, or 14 during four years. Then I left Bruges where I lived to go to the university. So I had to stop it. And I was not, uh, I lacked the talent to be a good violinist. And since my youth, my small youth, I like to play the piano in, in the house of my uncle or something like that. And then I found, I was still living at home and I was 14 years, I bought a second hand piano, upright piano, which couldn't be tuned correctly again, just too old and with a wooden frame. But as I played at the same time the violin and not to uh, influence negatively my ear, I played the piano on, on sight on in the most impossible chords using a lot of the black keys and in quite complicated uh, chords with four or six uh, crosses or, or, or bemol. And I studied the solfege for six years, so the whole, the whole cycle. So I, I, I had to, to read from paper in six keys. And okay, it went. But I never managed to do it uh, and play the piano at the same time. And I studied a little bit piano two years, but then I play by ear, but very badly, very badly. But this was a replacement of, I had two grand pianos. One English one of 1875 and one Blüthner, which is a very good German one of 1927. But I couldn't place it here in the apartment. So when we moved, I had to sell them and buy this one. And because it's an apartment, I need headphones not to disturb the other people. Can you play me something? No, but I'm 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 such a just silly tunes. And as you might you might have seen, the piano chair is in the bathroom. Have you have you noticed? No. It was because for my wife with her hip to be able to enter the bathroom, 
it was exactly the the, the same. Uh, oh. But do you play very nice? It's it's nice. House, how do you call house, garden and kitchen music? <laughs> oh, yeah. <coughs> or, or, or the lift music, music playing in the lift when you are. <laughs> or, or lift, or, 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 or lift, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but it's very good. You, you don't need to be uh, ashamed for playing. But, 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 but it's. Uh, voilà. <laughs> what does music mean for you? Ooh. I think it's it's a f perhaps a, a, a flight, a fight. No. To f to to hide yourself in another world, to be in another universe where there are less problems, where there's harmony. When you listen to Schubert, it's full of harmony. Everything falls so well together, and it gives also uh, a certain degree of consolation in life. Is that the right word? Consolation? Trost, mm. trost. Uh, to be relieved. Uh, huh? And isn't it something similar like uh, feature? Because feature is another word too. It it could be, but of course, with the 
uh, with music, you don't have to think at all. You don't have to follow characters, to follow a history. It's all done by the composer for you. So he did all the job, and you you just can can let yourself go upon the wings of the music. Huh? <laughs> What's funny here is that you can mix with uh, other bad tunes, like saxophone or... or huh? <laughs> Angel's Choir, plastic guitar. That's the, the what well, a tune of a movie of the fifties, something like that. Well, but I always think that for me, for example, feature is kind of a song. Like it has some beginning, it has some yeah. middle. I don't know. A good feature has. It's like a song. It has its own personal melody, and it's composed, and it has something like a secret power who belongs only to that feature. And like something that you could consider in its totality. In the 30 minutes, something that starts to sing, to breathe, that lay down, that ra ra raises up again, that lay downs again. It's a kind of poetic explanation, you know. <laughs> well, if you have enough, you have to say. Uh, I think. Now, um, what do you do if you uh, don't produce features or don't do coaching? Good, good question. If I had the, the talent, I would write. And like many people, uh, I never had the time to look if I had the talent or I, I just wrote little things but I'm a too lazy writer when I write articles like, like here and there, there someone has to ask me to write it I never would do it by myself and on the other hand I'm quite active still still now at my age I'm I'm quite active but this 
training, this coaching, it fits me well. I only can judge upon the reactions of people, but when we started with this EBU Master School for young radio uh, talents, very soon those who were 25, 30 years, they won all the big prizes. Pre-Italia, pre-Europa. This was amazing. So it proves that a good training pace. And the training like we did it was training by doing. So if you get as a coach, uh, Elisabeth Jessen or, or Helmut Kopetsky, and you make a radio feature under his or, or her guidance, and you are in contact via uh, Skype, we transfer, you send files, you get co- uh, reactions. And at the end, after nine months, you have made a program. This is the best training possible. In, in, because, for example, in, for the Ocker Blumstrom, like we, now we have the training for three people, some people said, but why do you make it so complicated? Let's do it like it was the year before. It means someone of a certain station had made a feature for his station, sent it to the jury of the Ocker Blumstrom, and they said, okay, we'll, give, we'll pick three, prize, uh, three people, and they, as a prize, they can come to the feature conference and, and to the pre-Europa. But then you lose absolutely the whole training of doing and trial and error and with a good coach. Uh, it really can give a push in the back. It's like when you are a good violin player and you are playing at the music school of Liverpool and you have learned what you could learn there and then you could get a kind of stipendium and go to Paris or to Moscow and to learn under the guidance of this or this professor, great violinist, then immediately you can make immense steps forward. And instead of staying always with the same masters that, that, uh, that you know. Uh. How many featured uh, conferences or competitions are? There are quite a lot. Pre-Italia, Pre-Europa, Premios Ondas. There's someone in the middle of England. Uh, I, I forgot the name. You have the Nordic feature prize for the Nordic countries, Scandinavia. You have in Germany the Pre-Skobura, something like that. You have in Czech Republic the Pre-Bohemia. So there are quite, quite a lot, yeah, yeah. IFC is not a competition. It's not a competition. You can only play 25 minutes. And there's a selection committee who will pick, let's say, 20 of the 30, 25 chosen uh, suggested programs. In that sense, the spirit at the IFC is much more relaxed because it's not a competition. Can you just tell me, like, the beginning of IFC? I think there were, there were three people working in the field of creative radio and suddenly realized that they faced the same problems and they looked for the same solutions and they said, let's stick together. And from the three, they became 100. It was Peter Leonard Brown, 
It was Oke Blumstrom from Sweden and Andries Poppe from Belgium. So I think after 10 or 15 years of IFC, which was standing on its own and mainly in the hands of Leo Brown, we needed a stronger structure or like being under kind of more official umbrella to assure that each year we would organize the IFC and find a place and colleagues uh, from other stations who could host the IFC. And then we became under the umbrella of the EBU, the European Broadcasting Union, and they created a working group which was called the Radio Documentary Project Group. And I think every four years uh, there was an election for this group and some people stayed in the group, other came in. So since then it has a more solid base than, than before. So uh, yes, and there are di- different names of, of people. Uh, the president now is uh, Sylvia Laner from Austria, and before it was uh, Lorelai Harris from Ireland. Uh, yeah, there have been every four years other people. Many people they say that uh, they uh, well the, the feature maker should do everything like himself like record the feature edit it sound blah blah and some prefer to have some sound engineer and stuff what do you think is the best or or what was your way how you did your features in our time we had and we were forced to edit the feature at our radio station first of all there were no computers secondly uh, these were very big expensive tape recorders and we couldn't touch at it it had to be manipulated by a technician another advantage was that we always had a first listener or even sometimes two technicians And this is quite important to have a second opinion in the process. This being said, of course, you can do it all on your own. And nowadays the equipment is of high quality. Nevertheless, it's always good to have a second opinion of someone. Even not for the technical part, but for the the storytelling. Is my story clear enough? Isn't it too long, aren't there some episodes in it that really are superfluous, that you don't need, or are there some basic questions left without a reply, without an explanation. So it's good to have a second person anyhow, because it's a complex, it's a complex thing. Yes, uh, so now just maybe the the normal struggle of uh, every feature maker, the amount of the material, how many hours you need for one feature of the material? What is it it's, it's impossible to say. I would say if you need to make a feature of 30 minutes, that in my opinion at least you will need some like six hours five hours, six hours. 
but it depends upon the topic. Sometimes you might need 30 hours because it, it's so complex to find the right persons and the right answers, but it makes no sense to just blindly continue and continue to record without having a clear idea where where do I want to go? What do I want to know? And and why? And then time will say yourself, okay, now I, ha- I have what, what I need. The only thing, important thing is the choice of your main character. One should really take your time for it. If you want to record a piano tuner, for example, you go to the yellow pages in the, in the telephone book or on internet, you have in your city 60 piano tuners. So, okay, I will take the one who is living the closest to my place. Okay, well, good. and of course, it's his job. Of course, he can answer to the basic questions, but when it comes to what is really the essence of his passion, why is he tuning pianos? What would, would he like to, to do else in life and so on? Then it's possible that you have to, to talk to five, six piano players and say, oh, that's the man. And all the quality of your uh, feature depends upon the strength of your main character and how he talks, if he talks in images or not, and his passion. So quite some hours will be dedicated to research. Uh, Would you say that um, there are any cliches in feature making? Yeah, of course there are cliches in the... First of all, in the presentations, there are so many cliches possible in the presentation of your main character to avoid that there's a voiceover who says, and now we are moving to Mrs. Elliot, who runs this home for old people. And then often, when you have several characters, the, the maker starts by asking to, to, to the characters, please could you introduce yourself by saying, I am Mrs. Anna Elliot, and I'm running this uh, home. And then another person, I am the head nurse of the home, uh, and my name is... Uh, I These are cliches. Or using doorbells when it is not necessary. Uh, on your trip to, to the, your main character, each time you, you, you come there, ring... Ah, hello, sir. Why you may have? Why it's why it's 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 not necessary. I had a funny the program about that's one of the two now I'm coaching. The student is making is searching for her grand uncle, who disappeared 15 years ago, and who was last noticed in Brussels, and probably probably like uh, a homeless homeless people. And she decided with her, her grandfather, so the brother of the disappeared person, to find him back. To go in, in old people's home, finally they found. They found him back and the two brothers are in contact 
and the grand uncle has contact again with his daughter. That he, he, he lost contact in 15 years. And each time that the student goes to the house of the, her uh, grandfather to inform him about uh, her research, there's a little dog in the house. So if she rings, so nothing is needed to announce him. Just this little funny dog. It's pleasant to hear, it's fun, and it's there. This is clever. So these cliches, um, do you know about some others, or these are the most common cliches? Oh, there must be others, right? Using piano music of the 19th century, Eric Satie, a little bit strange. Using Ray Cooder, who made the music for the movie Paris, Texas. It's a very famous cult film. And this music was so strong, and it's just a slide guitar. And uh, everyone used this in his features. It was so strong, but then you, 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 it became really a cliché. And last year, some of my students used this music. So, but are you aware this has been used so many? But how can I know? It's not for, and that was a good answer. Of course, he cannot know, and it, it's perfect, perfectly mu perfect music for for a documentary. But he cannot know. But there are surely more cliches, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, reality is often stronger than fiction. Yes, yes, it it, it it can happen. But sometimes fiction is so well done also. There's no straight answer. But it's a fact that in real life, uh, sometimes you say, well, one could never invent the story. And it's there for your nose. Okay, well, I think we went through... Yes, I think. Because I, I start to becoming tired. Yes, I know. I mean tired in, in my mind. I know, it's very long <laughs> interview. No, 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 no. Do you sometimes now listen to your own features, which you produced? It happened, but then often it's because someone asked me, how did you do that, or do you remember this scene, and then I, I go back. But there are so many things in life to listen to that, that why should I go back to my own features? Do you remember all of your features? Yeah, normally, yes, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And was it, was there some feature which was for the most powerful for you of your your own features? Uh, the the last and the one in the in the the home for Alzheimer people. This was the, the strongest because of the topic, of course, and the sen and the sensi sensitivity, the human misery, which is in it. Uh, yeah, yeah. It it means. That yes, in reality, you can find like a gift from those little phrases I told you that uh, Emily asked a patient to to uh, the nurse, nurse, what I'm doing here the whole day. This is really strong. Uh, and uh, then when one of the sister nurses makes a tour and they are going to sleep, and the nurse asks. 
do you want an apple juice or something like that? And uh, this old lady answers, kiss my ass. And all on this very beautiful lullaby of Richard Strauss, which is so noble. And such nice music, and kiss my ass. <laughs> this is... This is uh, Life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, how many features you've actually made in your life? Have you counted it? No, uh, I didn't make that much, perhaps 10, 12. But when I started to uh, the program Piazza, the feature program, I had to start with nothing nearly. So I had to take care of the coaching of people. And the first time I was, for one feature, I was five days in the studio with the author, new authors. And the second time with him or her, four days, and then three days. So I was coordinating all this stuff and hadn't the time really to make them for myself. And the first ones I made, I didn't had an idea that this was a feature. I never heard about a feature, but I, I used uh, speech and music and silences and all the ingredients and there was a rhythm and so on. But it's only later that I realized that they were really documentary. Who told you that it's feature? I remember at a certain moment people of a department which which they made features about war, Second World War and so on. And they were invited at the IFC, International Feature Conference, in, in Sydney. But they had nothing to present nothing valuable, and they asked a feature from me, who, who worked for a, another station, can we bring it with us? Then, ah, a feature, that's a feature, yeah, and you're making features, oh, glad to know. Didn't you ever have the tension, you know, to do more features and to stop coaching and just, you know, be a producer, mostly? Or? Yes, but there was no real feature slot, so... I'm more like yeah, someone who tries to create something that didn't exist. So I created this lot of radio features. But to be sure that it would work, I had to find people to make them and to train them. And we had already two or three people who had experimented with the genre and who had the, the, the skills. But we needed much more than them. It's the same later in my life than I started to take care of the International Feature Conference and then of the EBU Master School for Young Feature Makers and then the Orca Blumstrom Prize for Young Feature Makers. So once you are in this logic of training and passing your knowledge to other ones, you don't have the time to do something else. And it's not bad, at least it's better to create the situations in which 150 features are made instead of that I create 15 features. Then you create a movement and not the only your, your only personal work. But have you ever regretted that you don't, uh, didn't? No. No. no, I don't regret many things. Okay, well, I think I'm done.